0: Well, this morning is a really big and important morning, but it's not disconnected from Dennis's previous life. I was thinking last night, Dennis, that you are a serial servant. Uh, In fact, I think of all the clergy sitting behind me, only Ellis and Cynthia Brust had the good sense to be Anglicans their whole life. Uh, for the rest of us, you know, Dennis has an AG, Baptist, Presbyterian background. I've, I've got United Methodist, Calvary Chapel, Vineyard. So we're all sort of Anglican mutts, but um, here nonetheless. Well, our gospel reading this morning told us that Jesus went into a harvest field. And when you think of something like a harvest field, it reminds us that no ministry arises out of the blue, and that there are still harvest fields today, and God still calls people to himself, and then sends leaders into those harvest fields to work for him. And so if we stop and think for a moment, what is the motivation of a priest? Why do we do this, a deacon, anybody who's moving out into these harvest fields, why do we do this? And the text tells us that Jesus' motivation was that he had compassion on the people in his harvest field. He saw them as harassed and helpless. Using an analogy, he said, it's like they were sheep without a shepherd. They were people who were wandering without able, loving, compassionate leadership. And so when I think of my colleagues behind me or Dennis being or Dane today and all of the rest of you who work in these harvest fields, that's what Jesus had in his mind and I think is very useful for us, loving as far as we can, relying on the person and work of the Holy Spirit, able and compassionate leadership. And so Jesus went into his harvest field in the same way that he's sending Dennis into this harvest field. A very particular harvest field of Orange County, California in 2012. Not the Orange County that some of you grew up in in the 50s or 40s. But the Orange County today with its mindset, its worldview, its way of looking at things. And this is why it's important to realize that no ministry arises out of the blue. It arises out of a particular set of circumstances, a particular harvest field. And so these days you might hear the harvest field talked about as postmodern and you might think of all the deep inner angst that people have over truth and is there truth and can I know it and how certain can I be that I actually know truth or you hear people talk today about this being a post-Christian time where the church is no longer accepted as a central part of society but is increasingly dist, as the kids say or marginalized But if you read a lot of sociology like I do, you'll know that also people are beginning to say now that we're turning into a post-secular time, which is to say that people who have tried to live entirely divorced from religion or spirituality or anything like that are realizing that there's nothing at the end of that road either. And so what do we do? And this is where somebody like Dennis, so precisely fits the mission field that we're working in, because Jesus' motivation was love. He went particularly into this harvest field and did what? Well, he taught. He taught reality. He said things like, this is what's most true of our cosmos. This is the part that is the most real. Lying behind everything is a trinity of beings who are most, their their most essential nature is boundless and completely competent love. Jesus said stuff like that. He said, this is what's really real. So he taught reality. He proclaimed, the text says, the good news of the kingdom. And he manifested the heart of the father that he was talking about. He manifested that heart when he did things like stopping the funeral procession of a widow whose only son had died and raising him to life or speaking to the woman at the well or saying to Zacchaeus, come down, I wanna have dinner with you. He was manifesting the heart of God. He didn't just teach it and proclaim it, but he manifested it. Well, we could look around Orange County and we could find lots of needs that might draw us to ministry, but need or opportunity like you know, Dennis stumbling upon Holy Trinity Church here, or even availability, these are not the best motivations for ministry. The best motivations for ministry come out of the, our text in Isaiah, where he sees this vision, and this really is the best motivation for ministry. I saw the Lord, Isaiah said, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and he heard the heavenly voices saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. And Isaiah's first reaction mirrors most of ours when we first thought we might be called to be a Christ follower or to be called to ministry. Our first reaction is, woe is me, I'm ruined. For I am a man or I am a woman of unclean lips. But the Lord's not easily put off. And so he says something like, I get it. But who am I gonna send and who will go for us? And so Christian ministers for 2,000 years now have said, here I am, send me. And it's that response in the heart of Dennis that brings us here this morning. But the psalm we read this morning reminds us that it's not all light and good. That there are bound to be in the days of Dennis ahead dark and discouraging moments. It's bound to happen. And bad stuff especially happens when ministers think that they need to secure themselves, someone who is not fundamentally and deeply secure in themselves, whether they're a minister or a school teacher or a husband and a wife, will find a way to secure themselves. And when that happens outside of this kind of vision that Isaiah had, it ends up in words like control freak, manipulation, liar, whatever it takes to make me feel secure. And it actually leads to a kind of what I call kind of a functional atheism that says nothing good's going to happen here unless I make it happen. Or I can't actually make myself secure here unless I do it. And once somebody makes the decision in their mind that I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make me feel secure, then that's what sets up all the kinds of stuff in marriages and households and churches that all of us are so tired of. But there's a way around this for people like Dennis and there's a way around this for us and the psalmist tells us what it is. When he says something like this, God, give me your lantern and compass. Give me a map so that I can see the way and know which way I'm walking so that I can really be free and secure and a safe minister. Now again, how do we do that? Well, as I've said, the deepest nature and reality of our universe is this, that what lies behind it is this trinity of persons who are totally competent love. That's what uh, Elijah knew when he saw the vision of chariots of fire. He saw what was behind what's always readily known to us. He saw what was behind it. When Jesus is arrested in the garden and he tells Peter, put away your sword, can't you see that I can call on myriads of angels? Jesus was seeing what was really true. He knew he was safe. Are you picking up what I'm laying down here? He knew he was safe. Soldiers all around him coming to harm him. They, did, they weren't there to will his good. They were there to will something horrible against him. But Jesus stands there utterly safe, why? Because he sees sort of behind small R reality to capital R reality. And he sees that he's completely safe. Stephen, about to die, being stoned to death, looks up and sees a door to heaven open and realizes that in that moment, he's safe. Now in our day and age, not just in the ministry, that just happens to be what I know best, What you hear a lot of these days is, well, what's most important is that I'm true to myself. And these days, that's thought to be the highest form of integrity, that I just have to be really true to myself. Well, so far so good, except for what if your self is broken? What if your self is fundamentally insecure? What if yourself is like willing to do anything it takes to make yourself feel secure? Well then it's not so great. No, actually the highest form of integrity, the passage in Peter tells us, is being true to the God who called us. So if you look at your passage in Peter, Peter says, here's what I want you to do, Dennis. All of us clergy here, everybody who works in the church, here's what I want you to do. Motivated by the desire to please God, Be a diligent shepherd of God's flock under your care, tenderly watching over them, tenderly watching over them. Who can do that today? What man can risk tenderness in an age of peacock CEOs who walk into boardrooms and just tell boards where to go? Anchors on TV who dominate newsrooms with their celebrity. And it happens in churches all over America. Who can risk actually tenderly watching over in a day of rock star pastors? Well, somebody who understands the strength that there actually is in tenderness, because I'm safe. I don't have to power up over people. I can just be here and be present because I know what lies behind this is something that God's doing. So Peter says, be example to the flock, show them the way, clothe yourself with humility. Those are the kind of people, in my humble opinion, are the only ones who can actually do Christian leadership because here's Christian leadership in a nutshell. Christian leadership in a nutshell answers this question. What does it mean to lead a group of people who are supposed to be following someone else? What does it mean to facilitate relationship with the lord jesus christ as we've already said this morning a couple times he is our lord who lives and reigns with you and the holy spirit one god forever and ever we've said several times already this morning you are our lord well what does it mean to lead a group of people who are supposed to be following someone else so i say to dennis and my colleagues and all of you that no matter what happen or may happen in our mission field in the places where Jesus is sending us, no matter what happened, no matter what may happen in our culture, in our lifetime, Dennis, the kingdom of God is never at risk. And you in it are never at risk either. And it's that knowledge then that's the basis for pastoral ministry. And it's that knowledge that God in his kingdom is never at risk and because I've put my life into his kingdom, I then am never really at risk. It's that way of the kingdom that allows us then to be countercultural. Instead of peacock, rock star pastors, we can take on the metaphors that Jesus commended in the New Testament. Instead of the privilege we had when America and Orange County was more Christian, instead of the triumph that we had when we were electing presidents and that sort of thing. What if we were able to really take on Jesus' metaphors for how the kingdom worked with the modesty of a little salt, a little light, a little yeast, for that is the way of the kingdom, and that's the way God's kingdom manifests itself in any culture, from Christian to highly secular. So Dennis, if you'll stand, I have a special charge for you as we conclude this sermon. Dennis, I charge you to respond fully to the sending of God and to love compassionately his broken world and his beloved church. I charge you to teach and preach the gospel of the kingdom of God, to be a shepherd of God's flock, watching over them, eager to serve, and be an example to the flock clothing yourself with humility. And when those dark days come, always reach out to God, who is both your stronghold and the one who sends you. He goes with you as a lantern and a compass where he sends you. And in his presence, you are free and you are secure, able to be a safe person for others and capable of taking the large risks and dying the little deaths that come with being a priest.